welcome into Designated for Assignment. Uh, been just a couple of days uh, after that uh, just disastrous series in Boston, we, we did that podcast to talk about it. And uh, as I signed off, I'm Josh Goldberg, by the way. Um, I said that hopefully in a couple of days' time, we'd have some better results to talk about. And lo and behold, uh, the Blue Jays uh, added to the Pittsburgh Pirates' recent misery, sweeping them pretty convincingly. None of those games were particularly close. The starting pitching was way better, was really good after being awful um, in Boston. It was really good. You know, each of the three starters, Bassett, then Barrios, then Kikuchi, went at least six innings. And, you know, the Blue Jays right now, uh, as they are on the off day here on Monday, are tied actually coincidentally enough with the Pittsburgh Pirates for the major league lead in terms of quality starts, which, you know, just as a refresher is at least six innings pitched by a starting pitcher or, and three earned runs or less. So the Blue Jays, you know, in 18 games this year and basically half their games, they're 21 and 14. Uh, so they've played 35 games in 18 of those 35 games, more than half their games, they've had a quality start. So I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, they're playing 600 or so baseball in terms of winning percentage uh, with their starting pitching going at least six and giving up three runs or less more than 50% of the time so far. You know, it's interesting when they've been good, they've been great. Uh, and when they've been bad, they've been awful. And we talked about that um, a couple of days ago. You, you look at Kevin Gosman's last two starts really, I think as a microcosm, of this entire season of starting pitching, he was nails dominant against Seattle sets a career high in strikeouts and then stunk against uh, Boston. And, you know, he wasn't really sure why, and he needs to figure out how to eliminate the starts that he had against Boston, the start uh, that he had against Houston. But it just shows that there's been some inconsistency. It's been more good than not, but it's unfortunate that when they haven't had the quality starts, it's been a lot of, you know, failing to go beyond the fifth inning. A lot of times guys getting knocked out in the fourth or guys getting knocked out uh, even before that. And that's when you're really in trouble. Like at least if you five and dive it, give up three or four runs through five, five and a third, something like that. It was an offense as potent as the blue Jays is, um, you know, you're, capable of winning a game. It's when you're giving up five, six runs and three and two thirds or four, four and a third that you're really going to have a hard time because then you're just asking so much from your bullpen. So a really nice rebound. They didn't ask too much from the bullpen. Um, we can get into, uh, I'm going to talk about Jimmy Garcia uh, a little bit later on because he continues to, I would say struggle. You know, some of his underlying numbers are good. His strikeouts are solid, but we'll, we'll dive into that. Uh, a little bit later and you look right now the Jays have the uh, top five record right now in Major League Baseball and they're in third place uh, in the American League East so as always uh, we we've known this you know if you've been a Blue Jays fan uh, for as long as you can think we all know that the American League East is what it is and it's always going to be a challenge to separate yourself and the division's always going to be competitive and there's going to be lots of teams that are in playoff contention. And right now, every team is above 500. Like the Yankees would be leading some divisions or maybe not. No, they would, they'd be one game back in the AL central, but they'd be in right in the thick of things. And basically every other division race 
um, in the majors and they're in last place right now, 10 games back after losing two out of three to the Rays. So it just goes to show uh, this is what it is. You know, the, the Blue Jays, I think, considering they're going to basically play 23, uh, yeah, no, 25 of their first 37 games away from Roger Center. We knew coming into the season that uh, it was going to be a road-heavy schedule early on. Um, they've weathered that storm pretty well. They're still in the eye of the hurricane, I would say, with their upcoming schedule, but they've done a pretty good job so far to be playing uh, 600 winning percentage baseball, 21 and 14, with 23 of the 35 games away from home. It just goes to show, like, they're nine and three at home. They have a, they've won 75% of those games at home. The, you know, they've got 10 coming up after this two game mini series against the Phillies. They've got 10 coming up. Now, you know, they're not gimmies by any means. Like they, six of the, their 12 home games um, were against, you know, actually really most of their home games so far outside of the Rays, like they played the Tigers, then they swept the White Sox and then Seattle, you know, they did take two out of three against Houston, but they've struggled. So they haven't had a huge test at home. That is going to change uh, when they get back home on, on the weekend with Atlanta, then I believe four against the Yankees, then three against the Orioles, who I think let's face facts here, unfortunately, are the real deal. Like, I don't know if they're going to play 647 winning percentage baseball all season, but it's a really deep, really talented lineup. Bullpen is still fairly solid. Starting rotation, I have my questions about, but it's going to be an above 500 team and a team that I think is potentially one to take seriously as a playoff contender. So uh, that's going to be challenging uh, big time uh, for the Blue Jays, those those 10 games. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I look at you know, Mark actually tweeted me in and asking me this question about the starting pitching and asked me to rank the starting pitcher so far in terms of their performance this season. And I thought about it. And it's an interesting one. I think it's a pretty um, clear one in five, like as, as bad as a couple of Gosman starts have been, his good has just been so much better uh, than everyone else's and so much better than the lion's share of starting pitchers in Major League Baseball that he gets the top spot. Manoa's in number five. You know, he's had two quality starts, like the 18 quality starts that I referenced. Uh, Gosman has five, Bassett has five, Brios has three, Kikuchi has three, Manoa has two. And you know, Manoa was a quality start machine last year and really up until this season. So he's got to figure out how to start pitching deeper into ball games, giving his team a better chance of winning. So they're one and five. You would have expected that they would be one and two. Um, so I think the fact that Manoa struggled as much as he has and the Blue Jays uh, are more than keeping their head above water is a good indication for when he inevitably you know, starts pitching better. I, I don't think he's going to resemble the ERA that he had last season, but I don't think he's going to continue to struggle uh, to the extent that he has so far. I would put Kikuchi at number two. I think you have to factor in the expectations being as low as they were. Yeah, there are still, I think, you know, he didn't get a ton of swinging strikes. I think he had six whiffs on uh, Sunday against the Pirates through a bunch of pitches. It's been different. You know, last year, even when he struggled, the swing and miss was really still rock solid. And it's been there at times this year. But he's pitched a different style. Like there's been more pitching to contact um, than I ever would have expected from him. 
And like, it's working right now. I'm still remaining hopeful. Like his hard hit rate is still pretty high. A lot of his numbers are similar uh, to what they were last year. His walk rate is way down. Like it's 5% and it was 13%. Uh, last year his whip is 1.19 like he's doing a good job at just limiting base runners like I think that he's his strand rate is 92 percent that's obviously going to come down and his ERA is going to go up like he's got a 3.35 ERA and his FIP is 5.08 like I think a regression to some extent is coming but I think he can meet somewhere in the middle between 3.35 and 5.8 maybe somewhere around four and a half and if he can tick his strikeouts up a little bit Four and a half ERA with a strikeout per inning pitched uh, is a perfectly solid fourth or fifth starting pitcher. But relative to expectations, he's already got three quality starts and seven starts this year. Uh, he's number two right now. I would put Barrios and Bassett kind of as uh, in a tie for number three. Uh, Barrios has really outperformed or rather underperformed his peripherals. Like his FIP is way lower than his ERA. He, again, is not really walking anyone. Um, Yeah, he's had a couple of stinkers, but he also has had three or four really solid starts. Um, And there's, I think, more to be encouraged about right now than there is to be discouraged about. Uh, Like, he's not walking anyone. Uh, He's giving up fewer home runs than he did last season. Like, he's got 41 strikeouts to eight walks and 40 in a third innings. More than a strikeout per inning pitched after he dipped back down to 7.8 last year. So uh, I would have him... Uh, number two, uh, or, or rather tied for three with Bassett, who has been really good since he struggled the first start and change. Like his command wasn't great against Seattle, battled well enough. Then was like, that's a stopper start he had against the Pirates. You know, the Blue Jays were leaking major oil. Uh, they had lost five in a row and they needed desperately. Like there were no off days. The bullpen was pretty gassed and he throws up seven scoreless and really set the tone for what ended up as a really successful weekend. And like he's, you know, it's never going to be pretty. Like I look at him, I've, I've used the term with a buddy, like he's a mechanic. It's not super pretty. Um, Maybe it costs too much money sometimes, but if you find the right one, they're reliable, dependable, and more often than not, they're going to get the job done for you. And that's how I kind of look at, uh, at Chris Bassett. So like on the whole, the starting rotation so far, I'd give it, I'd honestly give it like a seven out of 10. You know, it it is, it hasn't looked, I think the way that a lot of people expected it would in terms of, like we just said, certain guys ranking above others, but on the whole, when you have 18 quality starts in 35 games, even though there have been some tire fires, some disasters, that's still to me like a solid B. Uh, I don't think it it's much better than that. I, I'm sure probably some people will disagree and say it should be worse than that. But uh, they've had two really solid stretches and then some some not so good. So I think by and large, uh, I would give it a B. So let's turn our uh, focus to the uh, offense. And I believe Brandon Belt had four barreled balls, which uh, in case you're wondering, is an exit velocity of at least 98 miles per hour. And I think there's some launch angle stuff uh, involved in that as well. But it's just an indicator that in the first... 30 some odd games uh, of the season. Brandon Belt just was not making any hard contact. And you look at the two games he had against the Pirates. He was five for seven, scored five runs, three doubles, drove in a pair, three walks, two strikeouts. And uh, 
like it it alone that game he came into that game uh hitting 172 and his average after that those two games in that series as 225 he raised his ops from the start of may when it was 509 after going over three with three strikeouts against the red sox it's 679 now which is an indicator that the sample size is still relatively small like there are still you know some bat speed concerns even in those two games but I think it was a one-two count and he got hung a breaking ball in that game Saturday. I think it was Oviedo after belt did not have any luck trying to catch up to upper nineties, mid upper nineties up in the zone. They flip a breaking ball to him. It's a disaster. He rips it into the corner and the blue Jays, you know, score a couple of runs and that's, they didn't look back. They were up seven, nothing after the third inning. Uh, of that game. So I do wonder, you know, if uh, teams are going to continue trying to attack uh, Brandon belt, they should, because like, he did a better job. I would say this weekend hitting velocity, but I, I still think that that is the area that you should be looking to go after challenge him uh, with and, and trying to get those swings and misses um, up in the strike zone. But, you know, like I, we were starting to get to a point and, and I think that, you know, there were certainly some factors at, at play, the the lack of acclimation, spring at bats. Like I don't put as much stock into that as others because the last couple of years, uh, he hasn't had a ton of spring at bats and it hasn't necessarily dictated what level of success he has or hasn't had. But coming off of surgery, adjusting to the American League, adjusting to a new franchise, like I was prepared to give him a decent amount of leeway, especially because in a vacuum, his skill set was going to be something really nice for the Blue Jays that they have been sorely lacking over the past couple of seasons. But, you know, when you're hitting a buck 70 or a buck 50 or whatever it was after a month of the season, you know, the, the patience starts to wear a little bit thin when you're striking out as much as you are and when you're failing to make any contact. But, you know, I was giving Brandon Belt at least through the month of May before I was going to consider any drastic measures. And I think that the fact that the Blue Jays don't really have anyone bubbling up at the surface that you could say, okay, well, we'll eat $9 million or whatever portion it is of Brandon Belt's salary if we designate him uh, for assignment. Like Barger's hurt and wasn't playing particularly well. A lot of people have asked me about Spencer Horowitz. There's not really been much power there. I understand that there's some attractive traits in terms of what he does at the plate, but I don't know 25 year old Spencer Horowitz. Is he coming up? Like he's got one home run in 91 at bats so far this season uh, at triple a good numbers. Like he walks a ton. He's walked 23 times. He's only, he struck out 23 at times. He's clearly got a good eye. He had a 391 on base last year um, between double and triple a in 114 games, but that's a big adjustment going from triple a to the major. So Brandon belt was going to be afforded every opportunity to figure it out. And like the fact that the blue Jays won the last two games of the series with Vladimir Guerrero jr. Out of the lineup is really encouraging because, you know, with the way he's been performing, you know, it's just, you're, you're down obviously one of the better offensive players so far at least in the American league, if not in the entire majors uh, and belt was a big reason why the blue Jays, you know, were able to weather, weather the storm, so to speak, and, and handle Vladdy's absence. Like I'm, I'm not worried. I'm at least 
it's at least on my radar that a slugger is dealing with a wrist injury. Like I'm not, like I said, I'm not panicking or anything, but I, I'm going to monitor that because that's the type of shit that can nag a little bit. Um, you know, they've got two off days this week. I expect he'll be back in there um, tomorrow night, Tuesday night against the Phillies, but you never know. Like if it doesn't respond well, do they consider keeping him out a couple more days because they have another off day on Thursday before a, a busy stretch of home games, perhaps, but I would expect him um, to be back in there, but yeah, really good weekend uh, from Brandon belt. Another really good weekend from Whit Merrifield. You know, he hits his first home run of the season uh, continues to just be really good. Really, really good. A lot of good at bats, good contact skills. We know that uh, like his numbers, he's got the highest WRC plus he's had in a season since 2019. Uh, as we sit here on Monday, like he's walking more than he has since 2018. He's not striking out um, like usual, like a little bit more than last year, but most mostly in line with career norms. He's running a ton. He's got seven stolen bases uh, already this year. Like there's a lot to like uh, about Whit Merrifield. Like he just, he makes contact and in a lineup like this, which has improved uh, in terms of their discipline, like the at-bats are better. There's not as much chase um, in the lineup, forcing guys into the strike zone more. Like Whit Merrifield's a little bit of a of a microcosm, I think, in, in some ways. Like he has two barreled balls this year. He's not a guy who hits the ball hard. He never has. Uh, that's never really been his calling card. But you know, when you make enough contact, you 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 figure out. Uh, ways to go to each part of the field and you know you make enough contact you hit enough line drives even if they're not crazy hard there's still a decent likelihood um, that they're that they're going to find holes and so far that's happened like Whit Merrifield's got a 29.1 percent line drive percentage which would be the second high of his highest of his career and highest since 2019 so I don't think it's a coincidence that you're seeing numbers not seen from him in a couple of years because he's you know not hitting the ball uh on the ground much yeah he's not hitting a ton of fly balls but he's hitting a lot of line drives even if they're not scorched uh their line drives are good and he's hitting a bunch of them and it's not a surprise uh, that he's performing the way that he has. And, you know, I said before the season, I wanted to see him play a lot at second base or or just a lot in general. And then in the first couple of weeks of the season, when he was producing, I said, Hey, let him run with second base. And, you know, to their credit, that has mostly been the case. And it's been aided by the fact that, you know, Kevin Biggio and really Santiago Espinal, but especially Biggio um, have struggled, but, you know, like Espinal, is not he's been terrible this year. He's hitting a buck 67. He's got a 491 OPS, 39 OPS plus, 100 is league average, 241 slugging percentage. Like it hasn't been good for Santiago Espinal. It hasn't been good for Kevin Biggio. They need one of those guys to figure it out because like those guys were looked at, at least one of them was looked at as being an important piece to play all over the place. And, you know, as much as I really enjoy Santiago Espinal's game when it's going well, and it, we saw it last year in the first half of the season, he was hitting a ton of uh, hard contact. Like he hasn't barreled the ball yet this year uh, at all. Like he has zero barrels. He had 13 last year. Uh, he regressed mightily in the second half of the season and unfortunately the regression has carried over um into the first half 
of this season, well, first 35 games, like it's even trickled over into defense. Like last year, in terms of baseball savant stat casts outs above average, he was in the 95th percentile defensively this year. He's in the 21st percentile. And there's been some, some weird plays. Like he's made some errors, uncharacteristic. Maybe he's pressing a little bit. The offensive issues um, are bleeding into that part of the game. Like his max exit velos in the 16th percentile was only in the 34th last year, but it's gone down. Like he just hasn't been sharp. Kevin Biggio has also really struggled, even though he had a, a multi-hit game in that pirate series. Like he still stri- he's striking out more than 38% of the time. Uh, he's not hitting the ball particularly hard. Like his average exit velo is the lowest of his career. Um, it's, it's rough. He's not walking. He's only walked 5% of the time. His hard hit rate is by far the lowest of his career. Like, I don't think that we're that close to a situation where, you're talking about him not being on the roster, but it's at least a thought. And, you know, that's a testament to how ugly it's been. Like he has options. So, you know, if he doesn't start performing, Kevin Biggio is a strong candidate to get sent down because, you know, at some point the focal point has to just be, well, does somebody in AAA or where have you, give us more if you're the Blue Jays than Kevin Biggio is currently giving. And if the answer is yes, then there's your, there's your situation and you send him down and and hopefully, you know, he can get on track down there, but it's not great right now for those two guys. Uh, one or both you would hope in the not too distant future figures it out because uh, like if Maryfield does go cold, they're not, right now in a great spot in terms of second base with the lack of productivity of those two guys. So, you know, they're really going to ride Merrifield while he's performing, but if a cold snap happens, it's on one of those two guys uh, to potentially step into some increased opportunity. uh, If you need to give Merrifield, you know, more days off or he's not playing well enough to be in the lineup as, as consistently. So uh, yeah, Uh, one of the few not so great takeaways, I would say, uh, of the last couple of days and really all season, those two guys, Espinal and Biggio, uh, just not producing uh, as they've done at uh, various points of their career. Okay. So I wanted to get to uh, Jimmy Garcia, who is struggling, uh, you know, had another not so clean outing against the pirates, you know, loaded the bases, gave up three hits and a walk. He had had a couple of scoreless outings before that, but you look at his numbers, he's got a uh, 5.63, Uh, ERA on the season, which is not very good. Obviously Uh, he was looked at as, you know, seventh, eighth inning guy kind of in unison in tandem with Swanson, like interchangeable, but that hasn't worked out so far. He's given up too many home runs, uh, 1.69 per nine. It was 0.89 last year. Um, He's not stranding a ton of runners. That's down 63% from 72% in his career. His home run to fly ball rate is 25%. So 25% of fly balls are leaving the yard. Like you look at his ERA, I said 5.63. His FIP is more than a run lower. He's striking out uh, way more batters uh, than he has uh, in a couple of years, 10.69. Uh, better than last year, 8.56, better than his career of 9.37. His fastball has been, I would say it's it's been up like considerably uh, over a mile per hour average. His slider's up a mile 0.5 um, from last year as well. 
like there are still some encouraging signs, even though he has struggled so far this season. Uh, I'm not ready to just say, oh, well, you know, that's it for Jimmy Garcia being a productive leverage reliever for the Blue Jays. I think there's enough encouraging signs from him. Um, like his whip percentage is in the 92nd percentile. Like he's getting a ton of spin on his pitches. He's throwing his fastball. Like I said, it's in the 86th percentile. Yeah, he's giving up too much hard contact and uh, too many barrels, but like his strikeouts and his walks are solid. I think he's going to be fine. And, um, you know, I was really high on Zach Pop. He obviously got hurt, was struggling, got uh, was probably going to get sent down um, if he didn't get hurt. Like, we'll see what Jay Jackson has to offer. We'll see when uh, Adam Simber might be ready uh, to come back up. But like the Blue Jays bullpen, you know, continues to be sort of status quo. There's a couple of guys that you really trust. And then right now, uh, it's a little bit of a hold your breath and hope for the best with others. You know, Tim Meza, I have to say, has been largely very good this year. I know that there's still certainly issues against right-handed um, right-handed batters. If he can't get that sinker in on the, like dotted on the inside corner of the plate, that's usually when he has trouble when it comes back over. Uh, that's usually when he's at his most hittable, but it's hard to argue with the results right now. Like he's got a 0.79 ERA, a one, two, four FIP. He's already, I, I don't really love war when it comes to relievers, but last year he's 0.1. This year he's already 0.5. Strikeouts are back up. He hasn't walked a batter. He hasn't given up a home run. Yeah, there's some fortunate stuff, like his batting average on balls in play. Actually, he's, you know, in that sense, he hasn't been um, uh, lucky because that's 412. His strand rate is 93%. He's getting a ton of ground balls. Like he's not to me, uh, set it and forget it, throw him into the fire, regardless of the situation. But obviously against lefties, you feel really good about what he can do um, against really any lefty. It depends bottom of the order righties probably, but that's an encouraging development because you know he's still the only lefty in the bullpen. Even if you have Swanson and Richards who have good reverse splits, there's still something to be said for that left on left uh, matchup that you can deploy depending on, you know, certain teams. Like you look at the Red Sox, obviously it didn't work out because, you know, of some, there are different factors, some, some poor decision-making, certainly some blowout games, but games like that uh, where you've got the likes of Devers and uh, Verdugo and Yoshida, like Tim Mesa is going to be the type of reliever that you're going to need in those types of matchups. And so far he has obviously handled most of his assignments uh, very well. So uh, lots of good stuff, obviously this weekend, you know, big stretch coming up. I asked on, on Twitter, actually Goldberg 12 at DFA uh, underscore pod. I, th- I think it's a 19 game stretch here coming up. Uh, starting with the two against the Phillies, then the Braves, the Yankees, the O's come to town for 10 home, a 10 game homestand. Then you head to the Rays, I believe for four and then the twins in target field. So you're talking about a bunch of playoff contenders or teams that thought they were going to be playoff contenders, division contenders, et cetera. 19 game stretch, then the schedule will lighten up a little bit. Uh, but this is a big s- spot right now. And I, I would say, you know, better than 500, you know, at least 10 and nine, 11 and eight, maybe 12 and seven would be ideal. And then I'm looking, you know, Danny says 11 and eight, Lewis says, give me 12 and seven. 
Uh, I see a 12 and seven. Uh, Jen says based on their current win- winning percentage, 11 or 12 wins would keep them on pace. Would be nice to make up some grand on the Rays and gain some distance on the Yankees who are sure to improve when injured players return. So 13 and six would be fabulous. Going with 15 W's minimum 11 and eight. I feel like satisfactory is 10 and nine, but obviously expectations are higher. Happy about 11 and eight thrilled with 12, 12 and seven or better. Uh, uh, Garth 13 and six. I think the boys are ready for a little run here. Todd, satisfactory 10. Any number over 500 is satisfactory in that run of opponents. Tyler, 11 and 8 or better. Go through the gauntlet and make it through alive. Dave, I think 12 and 7 or better would be great, but I am hoping for at least 11 and 8. Uh, Omer says, need to shave off at least three games from the Tampa lead. Well, you do have uh, a series against them, so if you take care of business, you can shave off uh, some games. But, you know, I... I I'm not at the point where I'm really saying, oh, well, you have to cut into the division lead. Like that kind of stuff tends to take care of itself. You know, if you play your brand of baseball and you take care of the business you need to take care of, you know, you know, like the Rays aren't going to win whatever percentage of games they've won so far. It's like, it's fucking outrageous right now. Like they came back from six down to Garrett Cole to win. They've won 80% of their 35 games. That's just, I'm sorry. It's just not going to continue. I do think that they're really good. I I do think that uh, like I have so many times, I probably underestimated them, but they're not winning 80% of their games all year. We saw that what happened with the Yankees last year, they had that insane first couple of months and then they stunk after the all-star break. And honestly, we're probably lucky to hang on to win the division. Like there was a point there where they were really teetering and, you know, unfortunately the Jays didn't put it all together there down the stretch to really challenge. But the fact that it was even a conversation after, you know, people were talking about a historic win pace for, for the Yankees in the first, you know, 10, 12 weeks, whatever it was well into June uh, of the season just goes to show how long of a year it is. Teams go cold. We just saw the Blue Jays lose five in a row after dominating a bunch of teams and winning a bunch of games and looking like they couldn't lose. They lost five in a row. So the Rays are going to fall on some hard times. It's just, it's going to happen. That's the way it generally works uh, over the the course of, uh, of a long season. So a lot of 11 and eights, 12 and sevens, like I said, 11 and eight uh, would be good for me. Uh, 10 and nine would be fine. 11 and eight or better would be great, but uh, it's going to be a fascinating stretch. You know, Alec Manoa gets the first game against the Phillies. Hopefully he can bounce back. Not as much this week because we did uh, a podcast midweek, just really wanted to dive into some of the stuff that came out of the Pittsburgh series. Uh, Really exciting. As always, Caitlin's going to join me next week. Uh, Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. So we will have a longer podcast as we recap um, the Philly series, and then the Brave series uh, as well. So uh, look forward to that. As always, at Jay Goldberg 12 is where you can find me on Twitter. At DFA underscore pod is where you can find the podcast. Like, rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate it as always. Really enjoying uh, interacting with all of you uh, as the Blue Jays season really shifts into uh, into a real gear here as we uh, get into May. So as always, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week with Caitlin. I'm Josh Goldberg. Thanks for listening as always to Designated Full Assignment.